Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, folks. We're joined by Raphael Goyeneche, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Uh, Rafi, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Neil. Rafi, I, I did want to start out talking about the uh, prosecutorial legacy of Harry Connick. Uh, he passed a couple of days ago, uh, was very influential uh, in the formation of the modern day area of, era, excuse me, of the criminal justice system in New Orleans. Absolutely. Uh, Harry Connick gave me my first job when I graduated law school as a, an assistant district attorney. Uh, I'm proud of my tenure there. I learned a lot. It prepared me for what I'm doing today. Uh, Harry Connick was really an innovator as far as a prosecutor. Uh, he inherited that office from Jim Garrison, and he went about really kind of reforming not just the district attorney's office in New Orleans, but by what he did, he influenced prosecutors all over the state of Louisiana. Many of the people that worked in that office, and there were hundreds and hundreds, if not a couple of thousand people that, that came and went there over his 30 years. Uh, they went on to other posts, people like Jim Letton in the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, a number of judges in New Orleans and Jefferson, and in other parts of the state, prosecutors that worked in, in Harry's office uh, left New Orleans, went to other jurisdictions to practice law, many of which uh, ultimately went on to, to serve as judges in various parishes. So his, his, uh, his legacy is something that is alive and well, both in the office today under Jason Williams, many of the, the procedures that are in place in New Orleans and Jefferson and in Prosecutors' offices all over the state of Louisiana were really innovations that were introduced by Harry Connick. He established a screening division. Uh, I guess previously uh, you had prosecutors that were um, screening cases and then prosecuting those cases, but Harry created a specialized division putting experienced people in uh, in uh, the screening division that were responsible for specializing in cases involving crimes of violence. You had an armed robbery screener, homicide screener, sex offense screeners. So people that had trial experience were, were placed in, in those positions. And that really helped to uh, create, I think, a, uh, a strong foundation where offenders that were 
being arrested by the police department were appropriately charged and prosecuted. Uh, there's no doubt that there have been some stories about some prosecutors that uh, didn't uh, uh, implement or follow their training in the district attorney's office. Some prosecutors, it's been shown, uh, withheld uh, information that would have uh, exonerated some of the offenders, but there are a couple of bad apples in every barrel. And the district attorney's office and prosecutors are, are no different than that. But as I said, there are thousands of prosecutors that went through Orleans Parish that went on to, to do wonderful things in the, uh, uh, in, in the world, in, 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 in DA's offices and in the criminal justice system over the last decades, and I think that Harry uh, is responsible for changing the way that uh, criminal justice systems, particularly district attorney's offices, operate. No doubt, and I guess, and I, and I think for certain if you were to take a snapshot of, of his office 10 years in and the number of uh, criminal trials that they were participating in and take that snapshot today. And this is not a knock on Jason Williams. It's just a, a serious change. You're not going to find not as n nearly as many felony criminal trials going on in, in criminal district court today as you did then. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, basically, that changed probably in 16 or 7, 2016, 2017. I mean, you had some judges back in the 70s and 80s uh, that were presiding over 100 jury trials per year. Uh, you know, that just doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, and, and there wouldn't be just one judge, there would be three or four judges. So, uh, you know, that, that is uh, it, not the reality of what it is today. Not that... Uh, it's bad what's happening today. It's just a reflection of changing times. So sure. even trying 100-plus cases in one section of court, uh, that, wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't account for the way most of those cases would close. Most would close with plea bargains in that. People would right. plead guilty. So, uh, but, you know, Harry uh, was uh, a very good administrator. He ran a tight ship. And the people that, that, that work there uh, have continued to follow his, his training in, in, in their, you know, as they progress through, through the system in their careers. I remember one, one meeting that I had with him. We had made the decision to no longer participate in Motion, which was the criminal history database in the city of New Orleans. So he had called Harry Lee, and, and, and Harry said, well, Harry, I, I need you to talk to my, to my chief deputy, Newell Norman. He'll come over to your office tomorrow, and he'll sit down and, and articulate why. And, you know, uh, Mr. Connick started on, on, on his tear on the importance of it. I said, Mr. Connick, I'm with you. Um, I said, the problem is I can't afford it any longer. He goes, what do you mean? I said, they charge us to participate in motion to put our criminal uh, uh, information in motion and to take criminal information out of, out of motion. They charge you, he says. I said, yes, sir. He goes, well, that's going to change as of right now. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of in my life. I said, I agree with you. 
and, yeah. and he changed yeah. it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I remember one time when I was uh, working in the White Collar Crime Unit, I convicted a, uh, a bondsman of a felony offense. And since he was licensed by the insurance commissioner's office, I wrote a letter to the then insurance commissioner, Sherman Bernard, as, a, as an assistant district attorney, advising him that the licensed bondsman was now a convicted felon and uh, encouraged him to follow the law and uh, consider revoking his license because the conviction that uh, he pled guilty to, the crime he pled guilty to, involved his duties as a bail bondsman. He had stolen money from a client. And uh, I thought, okay, well, that, that's just part of the job. Well, I got a phone call from Harry Connick saying, I need you to come up to my office. And, uh, you know, my knees were knocking and because uh, he didn't invite you up there unless there was a real reason. <laughs> and he said, uh, so you wrote a letter to the insurance commissioner? Yeah, yes, sir, I did. Uh, he said, well, he's an elected official. The only person that signs a letter to an elected official in this, you know, the, uh, is me. Now, you can draft that letter and present it to me, and I'll sign it. But, you know, I don't want the insurance commissioner calling me complaining about you. He said, I just want you to know I supported what you did. But in the future, let me sign those letters, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. I'll send, you know, a message received, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. Let's uh, pivot real quick and let's talk about the jail population. I made the observation today that I think in many respects 2024 may end up being a little more difficult than most people think uh, because over the past two to three, possibly four years, we've not been at capacity in the jail and we seem to be at capacity in the jail more often than not in recent times. And if that trend continues and we don't get the throughput that we need through the criminal court system, it's hard when you're selectively incapacitating impact criminals to really make a difference if they're rolling in and rolling out. Your thoughts? Right. So, no, I agree. And, you know, I looked at the city's website last week and saw that they were putting the inmate population of 1,202 inmates, and at the same point in time last year, we had uh, uh, under 1,000. So that's over 200 more inmates. I track what the police department is doing. And if you want to know why there are so many inmates in the jail, you need to look at what they're in the jail for. It's not necessarily new arrested subjects that are spiking the, the system. It's inmates that were arrested for serious felony offenses. Their cases have been screened and accepted for prosecutions in the DA's office. And those cases are now languishing in the courts. So the fact that the inmate population has been creeping up over the past year is a reflection of what happens on the back end, post-arrest side of the criminal justice system where prosecutors, judges, and defense bar uh, aren't keeping up with the, the pace. So uh, when I looked at the, the city's 
uh, website to determine, you know, what the number of inmates were. I was more interested in knowing what those inmates were in in pretrial custody for. Of the 1,202, uh, there were 286 of those, about 24% of the pretrial inmate population waiting to be tried on homicide charges. So 24% of that 1,202, 286 individuals waiting to be tried on homicide charges. Another 176 for aggravated battery charges, another 119 for robbery, uh, another 92 for attempt murder, 52 for rape, uh, assault, 43, and then if you add in weapons offenses, and those are felonies, 88, so 71% of the inmate pretrial population are in custody for either felony crimes of violence or a felony weapons offense. And those are some of the most serious people uh, and offenders that have committed some of the most heinous crimes in the city. Most of those cases are not going to be resolved until the cases are scheduled for trial. That's when the pressure is to cut a deal, plead guilty, and because the system, I think, is bogged down, not in every section of court, but in a few sections of court, uh, I think that uh, we're starting to see a consequence of the, uh, the system not performing as efficiently across the board as it should be. And, you know, I think everyone shares a little bit of blame for that, not the sheriff, because the sheriff is just the, uh, the innkeeper over there. In Orleans Parish, the sheriff doesn't arrest people. The police department does. The sheriff doesn't set bail on the inmates. The judges do that. Uh, the sheriff doesn't uh, decide, I'm going to keep all of these people in custody. It, it in large part depends on whether the DA's office accepts charges. If they accept charges and the cases get allotted to a section of court, you have the district attorneys, the judges, and the public defenders or defense bar that are responsible for moving those cases along the process. And at some point, uh, the process is clogging up and breaking down, and the byproduct of that is the inmate population in, in the local jail beginning to explode. Yeah, I mean, when you look at and and, and um, that number of of two eighty six, um, and when I when you look at murder uh, over the the past several years, you have um, really since twenty twenty one. Let's see, that's uh, you're about six hundred and fifty murders over a three year period of time, right? Right. Our clearance rate in, in New Orleans has been, I think it's at 30% or something right around there. You correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the national average is about... Clearance doesn't mean arrest. Clearance just means, too, that a warrant has been issued or they determine right. that the offender is uh, uh, in custody someplace else yeah, uh, or may have died. Uh, the national average... The national average is about 54%. In Jefferson Parish, we, you know, it's been over 90% for years. So any increases that we do, like, for instance, in that, just that one singular category kind of tilts this whole system uh, 
to an, an extent that uh, it can't handle with today's performance measures. So where we are performing with this criminal justice system, it doesn't work. And, you know, we're going to be compelled to release or do something. I mean, we used to do the Code 6 program. I made those difficult decisions many, many times uh, when I had a murder or, um, you know, a multi-victim murder. Uh, and, and I had to decide who was getting out. And, and I remember in one case, it, it, was, a ra- it was a rapist. That, that was the least offensive individual in our jail at that, on that given day. Um, you know, and, and there's been a reluctance here uh, to kind of develop a similar type of situation, but it's fast coming. And it's going to be interesting to see how the system is going to react to it, because I think, and I'm, not, and I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade, but I think that we've created a little bit of high expectations moving forward, coming out at new administration, what we're going to do, um, you know, with crime and this and that. And I was reading some of the proposed, uh, and it's only conjecture right now, what we're thinking about doing um, on some of these cases. It, it, it only is going to exacerbate our problem. It's not going to improve it. Um, and, you know, unless we get more throughput, this gets ugly fast. And I mean, right. in the fall, in the fall of this year, when a lot of those provisions that they're talking about, if they pass, it's not going to get prettier. It's going to get uglier. And we'll talk about that when we come back out of the break. We're visiting with Raphael Goyaneci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with Raphael Goyaneci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. So, uh, Rafi, we talked about the the what you know, uh, of what's happening here. And, and um, there's all kinds of reasons for the why. But how, wh- what is the resolution going to be? What is it going to take um, to be able to uh, 
continue to be able to move cases through through this system. And and as you said before, there's enough blame to go around. Well, sure. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's why, you know, we were talking about Harry Connick. You know, he was one of the, the first DAs that really uh, developed metrics to develop or uh, identify the performance of every aspect of his office. So knowledge is power. And knowing the numbers and allowing the uh, people in charge of agencies like the district attorney's office, like the judges, each judge maintains responsibility for their active docket. And the workload is equally distributed uh, to every judge in the building uh, based on the uh, allotment process that the court itself approved as an equal method to distribute the cases. So if cases are equally being distributed to each of the 12 sections of court uh, responsible for felony jury trials, then the workload should be equally uh, distributed. And while the workload is distributed, the size of a judge's docket is reflective of some of the policies that are in place in each of those 12 sections of court. The judge uh, with the lowest docket has about 100 cases. The judge with the largest docket has over 300 cases. That's 200 case difference. You know, why, why is that if the workload is equally distributed? And some of it is on the judges. Some of it is the failure of the district attorney's office and or public defender's office. Everybody shares some blame. And I think the only way to fix this is for each judge, the district attorney, and the criminal defense bar, you know, to sit down and evaluate what they're doing. Now, uh, I was asked to serve on the transition team for Governor Landry, uh, and I participated in a statewide uh, uh, policy session uh, dealing with crime and public safety. One of the areas that came up is the growing inmate population in some of the local jails. One of the sheriffs pointed out that uh, a lot of the offenders in his jail uh, are attempting to delay their, their trials as long as possible because they'd rather spend time in the local jails than in the Department of Corrections, and they know that time is on their side as opposed to the prosecution because cases deteriorate over time. So they will try and delay uh, pleading guilty or going to trial because they know that not only will they get credit for time served while they're awaiting trial, they'll also receive good time credits uh, once they are found guilty or plead guilty that will further reduce their time. So what, one of the recommendations of this panel is that if you're in pretrial custody and you're an inmate in pretrial custody in any parish, you will receive credit for time served, but you will not receive good time credits until you plead guilty or are convicted. That creates an incentive for the offenders to tell their defense attorneys that, look, uh, if I can't beat this thing, 
let me start to earn uh, good time credits. So let's go ahead and, and get this over with. Let's plead guilty and move on from this. That will help with the pretrial population and move the process along. So in many instances, you have defense bar uh, that are representing their clients. They're doing what's in the best interest of their clients. You have some judges that uh, are harder working, get to work early, stay longer, uh, and move their dockets. I remember when I was a, a prosecutor assigned to a section of court, first time uh, I was in this section of court, Judge Aloser was the judge at the time. And mm-hmm. he noticed that it was a new face in his, in his courtroom, and I was sitting at the prosecution table. He called me up to the bench and said, just want you to know, you know, welcome to my court. Just want you to know that each side gets two continuances. And if there's more than two continuances, the third time, you better be uh, requesting a continuance because you're in the hospital. Because otherwise, that sheriff's deputy over there with a badge is going to come looking for you because I'm going to issue a capius to get you over here. So he established a culture, and you knew what the culture was in that section of court. And that doesn't exist in some sections of court as evidenced by the fact that, you know, some judges have open inventories of 300 cases while other judges have an open inventory of 100 cases. There's got to be some judges with greater than 300, though, right? Because, I mean, that's just not that many. The last data that I have, you know, right now is 300 cases. Now, keep in mind, Uh, You know, you can't just look, the the judge's dockets are more than the 1,202 inmates in there. You're you're dealing with (laughs) uh, probably at least that many people on pretrial release. They're out. They're not in custody. So you're looking at if there's 1,200 people in pretrial release, there's going to be another 15 plus hundred people that are being prosecuted that are free on on bail while their cases are being prosecuted. We have 14 or 16 sections of court. I don't I don't recall. 12. Do you recall? 12. 12. It's 12. Okay. Yeah, I mean cuz so, I mean, I mean so, that's so, only if if everybody had 300, that's only 3600 open cases and I got to imagine based on the arrest rate there's more than 3,600 open cases. Yeah, well, you have to base it on the acceptance rate by the DA's office, not just right. the arrest rate, yeah. because case hasn't been screened at that point in time. So, you know, if you don't move a case through the system, everyday new cases are being accepted. And if you aren't keeping up with the arrest rate, you're going to start to see the dockets increase and the pretrial jail population increasing. And as I said, it's not just, uh, it's too simplistic to say, if you just do this one thing, every part of the system shares some responsibility for it. Every part of the system can do a better job and work together on all of this. So one of the things that the Crime Commission has been advocating for uh, is the judges that have 100 cases, they 
they know every case that they have where it all stands. And they're constantly moving it, it, their, their cases and evaluating and they're making it clear to the litigants, public defenders, the private defense bar and prosecutors, uh, this is what's going to happen next week on this case. And if we can't reach a resolution, we're going to trial. And the judges that back up what they say begin to see the benefits of that with their dockets remaining low because people realize they're not going to be able to kick the can down the court, uh, street anymore. And that's what, where the culture. Now, under Louisiana law, the prosecutor has the authority to set the docket. But if the DA is setting four cases for trial on the same day, uh, you can only go to trial on one of those cases. Now, you, you want to have some backups, but, you know, the one that goes to trial, you better hope that the other three are going to be resolved with guilty pleas. Because if you're not keeping up with that, and keep in mind, a judge that has 300 cases, if a case gets delayed, it's going to be they're competing for docket time with 300 other cases as opposed to 100 cases in the judge with the smallest number. So when a case gets continued with a judge with a large docket, it means it has to be continued not just days or a week into the future. It may be months into the future before they can get that case redocketed for anything. So it becomes harder to catch up the more you fall behind. And that's what we're seeing. A couple of judges have fallen behind. Some of it, as I said, is going to be because of uh, the judge not establishing the culture. But, you know, you can also blame the district attorney's office and the defense bar. Their responsibility is do, do what's in the best interest of their client. In some instances, the best interest of their client is trying to delay the trial for as long as possible. Yeah. You know, I think part of the frustrating thing for folks, and I just make a couple of observations. One, when I looked at the most recent data that you provided as of January 26, 2024, there are nine people in jail for motor vehicle theft. And you track this religiously every month. We have a, we had over 7,000 motor vehicle thefts last year. You know, so when you think about the, you know, holding people accountable, getting that three put, three, throughput done, let's say they arrested 10% of, of that, you know, to only have nine in jail or the capacity to only have nine in jail um, just doesn't work. Uh, I mean, these, right. these folks, as you well know, they're stealing two, three, four vehicles a day, um, you know, and these numbers are, are going to continue to be out of the stratosphere um, unless you're able to get them arrested and get them through the system some some way, somehow. Uh, well, you know. exactly. So, you know, one of the provisions of bail in Louisiana, under Louisiana law, is that, you know, not only is bail set for the offense, uh, but also takes into consideration the danger people pose to, to the community. So automobile thieves are property offenders. In the grand scheme mm -hmm. of things, if you're just looking at the offense, an automobile theft versus a murder, robbery, a rape, uh, or, or worse, uh, then uh, bail is going to be lower for that. So the reality is that most people are charged with automobile theft are going to have relatively low bail, and most of them are going to make bail. What I think can be done 
to uh, reduce the potential of these offenders recidivating is if they do make bail, you impose as a condition of bail uh, electronic monitoring. So you can Absolutely. track the whereabouts of those individuals. So if those individuals are at the scene of a crime where an automobile is theft, the geolocation device on that monitor can put them at that scene, and that gives the police a a starting point in an investigation to see if they can develop enough evidence to arrest those individuals. So I think using some technologies that are available right now, as I pointed out, there's probably in excess of uh, 1,500 people that are on pretrial release. Only 400 people are on electronic monitoring in this in this part of the state. So I'd guess that most of those are going to be Orleans Parish, but say it's just uh, 300. Well, at any given time, we may have 12 to 1,500 people on pretrial release, and some of those are going to be violent and repeat offenders. Those people need to be on electronic monitoring, not some of them, but all of them. And that's a tool that is underutilized right now, and I think we need to examine and harness that to reduce some of the recidivism that we're experiencing now. And we have a, uh, an interesting text here. It says the public has so little info on who is a good judge and, and who is not. And that's true. I mean, you've done some of the reporting. The fact of the matter is, is that at some point there needs to be a call out as to who's actually showing up and working. I mean, you know, well, we're going to be doing some. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing some reports on that later in the year. You know, so. you know, and 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 I tell folks all the time: pay close attention to what folks have done in their life. You know, trying uh, having trial experience doesn't necessarily equate into, into whether or not you're going to be a good judge or not. You want people that have a good work ethic. You know, and those things right. are not necessarily synonymous, um, and although we always seem to think that they are. We'll be right back. We're visiting with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Stay with us, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Raphael, the other day, last week, actually, the OIG, Ed Michel, uh, issued yet another report about the internal process of um, managing and directing a cooperative endeavor agreement with the Center for Employment Opportunities. And I read through the report. I, I read the witnesses' statements. Really troubling. Um on the one hand, it seems as though a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. And on the other hand, <laughs> there are others that just seem to be trying to manipulate the system. All right. So uh, that's, you know, the justification for having an OIG. It's been a couple of years. That office has gone through some struggles uh, from the departure of, of Ed Quattrovo. Uh, the, uh, there was a mistake made when, when uh uh, the uh, board replaced Ed Quattrovo with uh, underperforming Inspector General. Um, you know, he was commenting to his staff that productivity was not one of his priorities, as evidenced by the fact that uh, he wasn't very productive because he was rarely, if ever, there. So when Ed, Qua- when, uh, Ed Michel uh, was selected to lead that office, You've seen that office evolve from virtually being invisible to an agency that is doing the type of work. Uh, usually two weeks don't go by without them issuing some type of report or some type of findings. So uh, that office is so critical to uh, sending a message to the public and the governmental officials that they will be held accountable if they do not properly manage their organizations. And every one of those reports that he puts out means that the public is taking note of who they are. Sometimes they will call the Metropolitan Crime Commission with information about other instances of waste mismanagement and abuse. Sometimes they'll call the Inspector General. And if they call us, if they call him, something can and will be done about that. And that report is just another indication of what that office means to this city in reducing and exposing some of the the problems that drain precious resources away from other badly needed uh, 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 priorities for this city. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, it, it was, um, I don't know, some of the things that are just kind of very straightforward, just seem to be difficult (laughs) 
<laughs> not sure why it's it's working out that way, but it's it's refreshing that there's someone uh, interviewing these folks, and it was actually refreshing to hear some of their comments. I think they were blatantly honest, and yes. uh, and you know, That's so right. it's frustrated with the process absolutely they are they absolutely are and those ought to be the folks that we're, we're awarding not holding back thank you so much for joining us this hour flew by as always Raphael Goinecci president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission have a great week you too take care bye we'll be right back folks stay with us when we come back folks after the top of the news break we'll visit with Guy Williams president Gulf Coast Bank and Trusts and we'll be talking about a number of issues internationally national and here as well okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.